Subscribe to The Spectator this Christmas and get the next 12 weeks of print and online access as well as a bottle of Paul Roger champagne, all for just £12. This offer is available in the UK only. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Santa to subscribe. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Seal and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Isabel Hardman. Uh, the topic of today on this uh, cold Friday morning is, of course, the strikes. Isabel, give us an update on what's been happening. So yesterday we had round one of the nurses' strike, which I think is fair to say did not go well for the government. No one was expecting it to, but there were some unexpected things like chief nursing officer turning up on a picket line, as we discussed on yesterday's shots. Two Tory MPs. So far, Jake Berry and Dr. Daniel Poulter have said that the government needs to pay nurses more, even if it's not the circa 19% that the Royal College of Nursing are, are demanding. Today, we've got rail strike discussions, and that actually has has provided a glimmer of hope because Mick Lynch, the Grinch, has been saying that there is possibly room for a compromise and that the union, the RMT, are prepared to... Um, to potentially compromise with the train companies as well. Now, the rail strikes are, in a sense, more politically straightforward in that while people also rely on their trains to get to work, they have less adulation, I think it's fair to say, for train drivers than they do for nurses. But they're still complicated because, obviously, it's it's public transport, but it's private companies. The government has a role in the negotiations, but is trying to sort of distance itself as much as possible but I think it's it's much easier to get the messaging around disruption out on train strikes than it is with the nursing strikes. Katie, Isabel there mentions the views of Dan Poulter and Jake Berry. To what extent do you think there's perhaps a split in the Tory ranks on these issues? So I think you can see obviously the pressure and the fact that, as Isabel pointed out, the government's been trying to put forward the reasonableness argument to try and get public opinion on side. I think particularly you're going to bring in this uh, you know, new legislation laws on strikes in the new year. That is something where I don't think it'd be a huge Tory rebellion, but you're going to see probably the opposition and others make quite a lot of noise about it. And it could start to be seen you know, something that could have a public backlash to it if you don't land it fairly. So... Are they now winning the reasonless argument? I think the fact that some Tory MPs are speaking out suggests that the pressure and, and these MPs at least are worried that they are not doing that. They feel as though the Tories are looking at the, as though they're on the wrong side of it. But I would caveat, I mean, Jake Berry at the moment, it seems any story <laughs> which needs an anti-government quote from a Tory MP seems to have Jake Berry in it. I could be wrong if there's an issue where Jake Berry supports the government, Please do get in touch. Um, but I mean, I, I think I was reading Times Red Box. Was it yesterday? And it was just, I think, like two different items, and it's like roundup of the day. It was, and Jake Berry has an issue with this part and this part. And obviously, he was party chairman under Liz Truss. And I think since then, I've spoken out about, you know, Sibella Braverman, uh, about Gavin Williamson, but also in a few of these issues when you look at some of the amendments. And that's not to say, by the way, that. that Jake Berry doesn't have a serious point on strikes and it, it could well be his opinion, but it just means that we are almost in a phase of the Tory government where we're seeing that almost the new rebels arise because we've had so much change this year. And and so for, have we reached the point where MPs in the centre of the Tory party pressurise the government to act? I don't think we're there quite yet. I think, Katie, you make a good point about reasonableness. Um, Isabel, is there perhaps a sense that, you know, this isn't the kind of trade union militancy we saw in the 70s or 80s and that actually... The public want a much more kind of reasonable, moilent sort of tone from the government when approaching these these discussions. 
I think there is definitely a slight clumsiness, a flat-footedness potentially about the way in which the government is currently responding to the strikes. And one of the reasons that it seems not to quite fit with the public mood on everyone's aware of you know how much everyone is struggling, I think is that ministers and aides are thinking about how the public might feel at the end of all this industrial action rather than at the start. Um, and are sort of trying to cajole them along the road of feeling very fr- frustrated by militant trade unions and, and so on. But I think when you've got, as, as we've said so many times in this podcast, when you've got these groups of workers who are not known for being militant striking, that does make it much more risky to have that sort of 1970s playbook or even 1980s playbook in terms of talking about militant trade unions. So it's difficult. And I mean, I think one of the other things is, look, this is probably quite a nerdy point, but it's also a point of accuracy, is that whenever Rishi Sunak talks about Keir Starmer not standing up to his his trade union paymasters, he tends to be talking about unions that have never donated to the Labour Party. So, I mean, the Royal College of Nursing is not affiliated with the Labour Party. There are you know, Unite, Unison and so on, who, who are leading strikes at the moment, GMB, and uh, they are affiliated and, you know, they have certain rights within the Labour Party, they give lots of money to the Labour Party, but there are lots of trade unions that don't. And uh, I think that's one of the sort of quite clunky things that Sunak is hoping as a sort of sleight of hand that the public won't notice. And then we have the my door is always open line from ministers like Steve Barclay, and something that the Prime Minister keeps reiterating, saying, well, the Health Secretary has already said his door's open, but his door is open to the extent that he'll have meetings with people, but he's not allowed to discuss pay with the nurses, which rather negates the point of the discussion. I mean, they you can talk about morale and sort of safe staffing levels and so on, but the, the main reason they're going on strike with these other issues tacked on is their pay. So... You sort of turn up and say, well, you know, we're not going to talk about the thing you're crossed about. Katie, uh, Isabel there mentions Labour. What exactly is Labour's policy on these strikes and uh, specifically perhaps the nurses one with 19% pay demand? So I think what we're seeing increasingly with every Labour interview, I think we had Annalise Dodds this morning. They do not want to put a figure on it. I think Annalise Dodds, it was put to her, remember, the shadow cabinet. What do you think would be a fair offer to nurses pay? Because if you're saying, you know, get round the table, have a conversation, obviously the clear implication is that you don't think the independent offered figure is enough. So where do you want to go from there? And she's saying, well, I can't just pluck a figure you know, figure out a plain air, like, it's, that's an unreasonable thing to ask. I'm like, okay, but <laughs> you are a party that's being forecast to have a huge majority in the next election on the brink of power who's choosing to go in a morning media round. So, again, it's, it's not to get into specifics, but I do think as it, as it wears on, it just starts to be, at least for the people who have to watch the interviews every day, getting a bit tiresome. Um, and I think we should also mention, perhaps, that uh, Britain has its newest MP, and there was a by-election last night uh, in Kate Green's old seat, which Labour won by a landslide. I mean, Isabel, are there any lessons to be gleaned from that? What can we take away? Other polls are showing are correct that actually Labour are on course for this huge majority. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's again, it's one of those by-elections that lots of people are drawing their own conclusions from along. It's the same as, you know, any by-election result, any local election result, everyone will say, well, this proved me right all along. I think one of the interesting things about the new MP for this seat, Andrew Weston, is that he's very much a sort of creature of the sort of 
political machine. I mean, you, you know, you see this in both parties. He's been a councillor for a decade. He was Trafford Council leader. He's been in the party for a long time. And I, I think that's I think that's probably safe territory for by-elections. You often get very safe candidates in by-elections because there's obviously so much more attention on them. But I was talking to someone this morning who was saying, you know, it's, are these people who are sort of creatures of the political machine the best people to be going into Parliament? Is there not a need for more imagination from, from both parties um, with their sort of candidate selection process? So I, I think, in a sense, I'm I'm more interested in that than I am in the fact that Labour won this safe seat again. Yes, perhaps, and perhaps also shows the ascendancy of the star machine over the Labour Party. Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.